It was on the 6th of June in 1996 that Jim and Doris Davis were at the park with their two little twin girls. They were five years old, Jazzy and Jessica, and they had their, their new foster son, Robert, was four years old, and they were at the park celebrating after church the one-year anniversary of Robert being at their home. See, they had started the adoption process, and, and Jim and Doris have this family now that they have always wanted. They've got the two little girls and their little boy, and, and Jim could go out and play ball with his, his little man now. See, Jim worked for the roads department, and he did. He put in the extra overtime for his kids. And Doris was a stay-at-home mom, and, and she raised the girls up from, from the time that they were born. And now that Robert's there, they've started to go on, on field trips to add to their, their education. And it's really a family that has been gelling really well. And they're celebrating tonight out at the park. But what they didn't know is as the kids were playing, somebody was scheming. When Jim and Doris called for the kids to come because it was time to go, Jazzy and Robert came over, but Jessica was nowhere to be found. And so mom and dad asked the, the two kids, have you seen your sister? Where is she? And they couldn't find her. And so Jim ran over to the big tractor tire that was halfway buried in the sand, and he looked up underneath to see if she was hiding there, and she wasn't. And Doris ran to the makeshift shed that the Little League uses to, to keep their equipment in and looked in the back and behind that shed, and she wasn't there either. And a sense of fear set in right away when they realized that their daughter was gone. Just moments later, a phone call went out to Doris's sister, and as soon as the children's aunts got, got there, then Jim and Doris went to the neighbor's houses, and they're knocking on doors and saying, have you seen my daughter? Have you seen her? Here's a picture of her. She's wearing her Sunday dress. We were just at the park celebrating, and we didn't see anybody. But and did you hear any dogs barking? Anything. And no one had seen a single thing. Two weeks later, Jim and Doris and five-year-old Jazzy and, and Robert are sitting around the kitchen table and Jazzy is missing her twin sister, the person that she's connected to the most. And, and Robert is missing his new sister. And, and Jim and Doris, as parents, they're missing their joy. They're missing that, that child. They have no clue what to do. They haven't slept in two weeks. They haven't been to work and every single breath is hard because all they can do is think about where is Jessica? They have actually lost their meaning in life. The two kids are here, but Jessica is gone. It's a terrible story and it's, it's not a story that any parent wants to face, but, but we're faced with this fact that losing the one person that fulfills our every need, that fulfills our every desire, that takes up all of our time and fills our hearts, but yet when that person is gone, we are empty. And that is what so many people are doing in our world every day by living without Jesus. One of the greatest stories ever told, it's certainly not the story that I just mentioned to you, but one of the greatest stories ever told is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But just as a resurrection shown in the book of Matthew, it gives us this narrative of exactly what happened when Mary and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. It also gives us this wonderful illustration of what life is like when you have Jesus and what life is like 
when you don't. See, there's meaning inside this resurrection story that shows us that when we have no clue where Jesus is, our life is full of fear. But when we find Jesus, our life is now full of worship, full of hope, full of joy, and full of direction. This evening, if you have your Bibles, I would ask you to open them with me to the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew, as we're going to be reading from verse number 1 through verse number 10 in a message that I have titled, Finding Jesus. And as we read through our text, I want you to pay attention to the emotions that we notice from the characters inside the story. I want you to feel what Mary and Mary felt. I want you to feel what the guards felt. And I want you to ask yourself if you have found Jesus or if you are still looking for him. And I want you to, to notice what happens when you find something in a place that you weren't looking for it at all. Chances are that nobody here tonight knew you were going to be here two weeks ago. Either maybe you had seen a post about Fellowship at the Festival on Facebook. Maybe you heard about it from a friend. Maybe you had gone to the newspaper to read up on the latest Walmart debate and you saw a story about this event tonight. But let me tell you something, there is, you are here tonight and it's not by accident. Every single person who is here tonight is here by the hand of God that has brought us all here tonight. I want you to read with me in Matthew chapter 28, we're in verse number one. The Bible says, after the Sabbath, on dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Verse number six, he is not here. We're going to stop right there for just a second. And we're going to look at this story tonight through the eyes of the women who were there that morning. Now, just to clear something up, there's two women named Mary. One of them is Mary Magdalene. The Bible tells us that. And to answer a question that you may have, the other Mary in this verse is not the mother of Jesus. This is the mother of James and Joseph, or James and Joseph, but this is not Mary the mother of Jesus. So I, I know that there's not clarity right there, but just to, to help out a little bit. In this first verse that we know that the women are there very early on Sunday morning. We know that it's dark. The book of John actually tells us that it is, in fact, dark. And the other Gospels tell us that there are other people who are there that morning as well. But Matthew tells us a story of the resurrection through the eyes of the women, which I think is interesting because later in the Gospel, when we see the Gospel story through the eyes of the men, what we see is, we, we see the men like, who's going to get there first? We're, someone's running, someone's going to get to the tomb first, right? But see, the women bring an emotional aspect to the story that we're going to connect with this evening. I think it's important also to note that when the women left their house to go to the tomb, there was absolutely no doubt in their mind that they were going there to see 
a dead body of Jesus. They had, they had spices and they had aloes, and, and, but they hadn't read the, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey had, would say. They hadn't seen or read Matthew chapter 28 or, or Mark 16 or, or, or Luke 21 or John 20. They didn't know the rest of the story. They had every intention of sympathetically anointing the body of Jesus as was custom that day. On Friday... When Jesus was nailed to the cross, this mechanism of torture and execution, these women were there. When Jesus hung from that cross and, and he, was, he was struggling for every breath, these women were there. When he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These women were right there. When Joseph and Nicodemus had taken his body off and put it into a tomb and anointed him at that point with about 75 pounds of spices and aloes at, at the time, these women were there. So when they left their home on Sunday morning, they left out because this is the first opportunity that they have to go to the tomb. And they're going out to anoint the body of Jesus. But see, they didn't, they didn't even have their plan finished. They know there's a big rock. There's a big stone. They saw it on Friday. They were at the tomb. But they had no clue how they were going to move it. They know it's large. But on the way to the tomb, something happens. Read with me, starting in verse number 2. We're going to go back to verse number 2. It says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. So first we have this earthquake. Matthew refers to this as a very violent earthquake. For, for the women, it's the second earthquake in three days. See, there was an earthquake on Friday about three in the afternoon, right as Jesus had, had died. And this is after three hours of total darkness. There is a massive earthquake, and that has to be hours of terror. Most of us here tonight, we know kind of what an earthquake is like. Here in California, we get our fair share. Maybe we get more than our fair share of earthquakes in California. But most of us know what it's like to be jolted out of bed, or maybe you're at your desk at work, and, and there's a jolt of an earthquake. I'll be honest with you, I'm not quite exactly sure anymore what to do in earthquakes. I don't know if I get under my desk, or run for the door, or stop, drop, and roll, or, or what it is that we're supposed to do. But it has to have been a very scary moment at the time. And now there's this appearance of the angel in, 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 verse, uh, in chapter 28, verse 2, it says, For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And, and now look at the guards. Look at them. Verse number 4. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. These guards are not your typical rent-a-cop Albertson's parking lot kind of guards. That's not the guards. We're talking about trained military men. These could have been some of the finest selected Roman soldiers. They could have been the same guys who were on Calvary a few days ago. We're talking about battle-tested men. We're talking about men who are covered in armor, have weapons. And now there's an angel that makes them shake. Now, this is, 
It's the same Greek verb structure here in the word shake that we just saw in verse 2 with the word earthquake. It's the Greek word seismos. It's where we get our English word seismic. It's saying that these warriors were shaken so violently that now they're on the ground like dead men. And the angel now starts talking to the women. And I just realized a few moments ago that there's an angel talking and the men are on the ground, but the women are just standing there. And it kind of makes me wonder who to go to next time there's like a spider around the house. Because these men are, they're passed out on the ground, but the women seem to be fine at this point. Scared, but still fine. Read with me the first words spoken at the tomb this morning. We're going to verse number five. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. See, all that has happened at this point in the story, everything that has happened is for one reason. If we look at the earthquake, we look at the angel, we look at the guards on the ground, we look at the reason that the angel says, do not be afraid, it's all for one reason. The reason that all of this has happened is because Jesus is gone and they don't know where he is. Mary and Mary don't know. The guards, they don't know. At least when the women thought he was in the tomb, they knew where he was and they weren't afraid. Now there's this massive sense of fear because they don't know where their Lord has gone. Here's the principle. When you don't know where Jesus is, your life is full of fear. On March 8th of 2014, a Boeing 777 had taken off from Kuala Lumpur International Airport and it was en route to Beijing Capital International Airport and after about an hour of being in the air, air traffic control lost this plane that was absolutely gone, vanished off of the radar and Malaysia Airlines declared this plane missing. And a massive search started at that point for 227 passengers and 12 crew members. And as news started to make its way across the globe that this pas passenger jet had absolutely vanished, fear set in. Some people thought maybe the plane was hijacked and it had been taken and hidden maybe in a jungle area. Others had thought that this is actually going to be used as a weapon. This plane is gone. An Israeli newspaper, within a couple of days, had this headline. It said, as the possibility grows that Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 may have been hijacked and taken to a hidden location, Israeli authorities are preparing for the possibility that the hijackers might attempt to use the Boeing 777 to mount a terrorist attack. It was a few days later where News had come across that there was a little blip on a screen and it led international search teams to the west coast of Australia where people started to show up and, and helicopters start, started to go out and, and there was these, these searches and we saw on the news where it looked like maybe this was a, a piece of debris from the plane but, but it wasn't. And then fear set in even more once we started to see family members who were at the airport and friends of, of, of family who was on the plane and they're begging the government for answers and there's no 
answers. See, when we lose something that is so important to us, when we had something so important and it's gone, fear overtakes us. We had absolutely no clue where that airplane went, but the world was afraid. See, some people here tonight have never had anyone point them to Jesus. And although you may have heard of him, although this, this may be one of the few times that you've been in a church-style environment, there's this little bit of anxiety that's going on. And if there is a little anxiety, come up and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about that. See, if you're here tonight without knowing where Jesus is, I want you to know that, that this sense of, of fear that's inside you, and it may not be huge, you might not feel it all the time, but that sense of fear is going to be constant. It is not going to go away. That idea of what if I died today on the way home, where would I go? That question is going to remain with you. Your, your life will remain full of that bit of fear because your, your heart is longing for its savior. That's what happens when you don't know where Jesus is. See, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that anymore. If you're that person here tonight, and you go home tonight, and, and that idea and that fear is in the back of your mind tonight, and you push it away like you've done before, you know it's going to come back. You know it's going to come back in a couple of weeks it'll come back. There's going to be somebody at work or somebody in your life who's going to have a funeral service of some sort, and that feeling is going to come back. Let me tell you something, that you're missing something, and it's hard to tell exactly what that something is. It's hard to define what it is, and I'm going to tell you what that is that you're missing is love. That's the love of Jesus. And it's not the love because it's not there. It's a love because it hasn't been let in yet. See, when you don't know where Jesus is, when I tell you that, when you don't know where he is, that your life is full of fear, it's not because Jesus is missing. It's because you haven't let his love in yet. In, in 1 John 4, 8, it says, whoever does not love is not from God because God is love. See, Jesus is love. In Revelation 3, 20, it says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. We were made to be loved. We were made to be sons and daughters of the kingdom and, and to live with God in his love. Heaven is this, this heartwarming, loving place where you can't escape God's love. And just being in the arms of Jesus here on, on earth, we're in his love. When, when we live a life and, and it seems that we're in the depths. See, Jesus loves us. When, when it doesn't seem like we can get our act together, Jesus still loves us. When, when our, our head and our heart is telling us to make decisions that are different than the life that he wants us to live, Jesus still loves us. It doesn't mean that in any way he approves of the sin, but but he still loves us. The Bible says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's not because that, that he's the, the, the perfect alternative and swamped with Satan. It's, it's because he loves us. 
See, the problem with living in, in this fear, even that amount of fear, is that fear is such a strong emotion that it starts to dictate our decisions. If you can remember the times that you've made a decision based on fear, like maybe you've got to be nice to your sister-in-law all year long because she's going to blow up at the next family event. You've got to be nice. There's that little bit of fear. But see, there's people who, because of the fear of Jesus and them not knowing, they step so far away. When you're letting fear dictate your directions, you have no true direction. Look at me with what happens next in our story. Matthew 28, we're in verse number 5. And this is when the angel says to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. I want you to pay attention very carefully. The angel continues, Come, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Here's the principle. Knowing where Jesus is gives our life assurance and direction. Five minutes ago, both of these Marys were standing there and they had absolutely no clue where Jesus was. They didn't have a path. They didn't know what to do next. But look what just happened. The angel told both women exactly where Jesus was. They said, he said, he is risen. And because of that knowledge alone, now they have a path. Now they have direction. The angel says, come here, come and look where he was, where he was laying down. Even that small amount of instruction is direction. It tells them what to do next. And then the angel tells them even more what to do next. Go quickly and tell his disciples more path, more direction. They know that Jesus is alive. They know where Jesus is and they know what to do. That's my prayer tonight is that you know that Jesus is alive and that you know where Jesus is and that you know what to do. If there's anyone here like me, and I know that there's some who are, you probably have a tendency to lose things from time to time. I lose my sunglasses. I lose my keys. Most of the time when I lose my keys, they're inside my car, and I know someday soon I'm going to lose my car because my keys are in the car often but one thing that i'll lose is my phone quite a bit and when i don't know where it is does anyone else have a little phone anxiety when you don't know where your cell phone is yeah i see some hands let me ask you this how many of you would not that you have but would let's say you're on your way to work you're halfway to work and you realize that you left your phone at home how many of you would jeopardize being late to work to go home and get your phone? Any hands? There's a few. Okay, how many have actually done it at least once? Twice? Okay, so you're late to work because you don't have your phone, right? See, there's something about when you get home and you get it back, what happens? That anxiety is gone. But you know what? You're still gonna be late to work. Somebody told me once, don't rush now. Doesn't matter if you're five minutes late or 30 minutes late. 
you're still late, right? So you don't have to rush back to work. But that sense of anxiety is gone because now you know during your free minutes, you have time to check your scores and to look at something on Twitter that is totally irrelevant to the rest of your day. But you get it back and your fear is gone. It's a silly piece of electronic equipment, but it gets your mind back on track. That's the day that we live in now. And it's the same situation when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. When we know where he is, now our life is back on path and in direction. For those of us that know exactly where Jesus is, we don't have this fear. We might not know all the answers, but we certainly don't have the fear. We know what our instructions are. We can lie on our, on our deathbed and, and we're not going to have the fear. There may be a sense of the unknown because we haven't been to heaven yet, but there's the sense of joy because we know we're going to be with Jesus in the next few minutes. That's not a sense of fear. Look with me in Matthew 28. We're going to verse number 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Here's the principle. Knowing that Jesus is standing right in front of us gives us reason to fall at his feet and worship him. See, not only did the women know that Jesus was alive, but now they have found him in the flesh. They have found him. The Bible says they are afraid yet filled with joy. Isn't that a very interesting combination of emotions? Being afraid yet filled with joy. See, when we last met Jim and Doris, they were, they were left in shock sitting around the kitchen table. And they, were, they could hardly move. And an entire family has been torn but can you imagine how life changes with just one phone call when the phone rings and Jim walks over to pick the phone up off of the wall and he looks at the caller ID and sees that it says police department there is a massive amount of fear that is drawn up inside this grown man as he pushes the button to say hello See, this call is either going to bring good news or it's going to bring bad news. But one thing is certain, that there is going to be this emotional rush at the end of this phone call. And as Jim puts the phone up to his ear, his, his wife Doris looks at him from the kitchen table. And in a way, she wants to be on this phone call also. But she stays at the kitchen table because she doesn't know if she can handle this news. And Jim listens and he says, hello? And then there's some silence inside the house. And Jim takes his hand and he lifts it up to his 
face and he covers his mouth and and Dora sees her husband the man who would who would hold kids out in the backyard and spin them in the air and and it was built like an ox and she sees tears starting to roll down his face and now she's wondering what's going on in this conversation and it's as if he's trying to talk but he can't he can't get the words out he physically can say nothing but he musters up the strength to simply say okay we'll be there and he brings the phone down from his ear and he looks at the dial pad and he pushes the end call button and here's two parents who are full of fear with no direction with something irreplaceably lost and Jim puts the phone down and he looks at his wife and through tears and the creakiest of voices he simply says they found her and she's alive can you see the joy and the fear in the life of these parents right now see there's two different buckets of emotion right now that they're feeling one is this cauldron of fear and this other is this canister of joy before the phone call this this pail of panic is is full and it's kept these parents up at night and their joy is only a wish it's only a hope it's only a dream but now that they have found their daughter joy is a reality and that's what happens when we find Jesus joy is a reality as time goes by for Jim and Doris and they get their daughter back this huge tub of of terror it gets overflowed by this jar of joyfulness and now they're two of these these the emotional jars just full of joy and life will never be the same for them but they're going to keep a sharp eye on Jessica we know that and who she's with and where she goes and that's exactly what Jesus does with us when we come to him Jesus says and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus has made us a promise that when we seek him and when we find him, he will give us direction and he will show us a path and he will bring a relationship full of joy to our lives and that he's never going to leave us and he's never going to leave you. And once you find him and you create that relationship with him, he's going to be with you always, even till the end of the age. A life without Jesus has created all of this world of living abuses that we have gone through. It's created all of the destruction that we see in our world, all of the headaches, all of the loneliness, all of the trembling of hearts that are just simply empty. That's what a life without Jesus has created. If that's what your life is like, it doesn't have to be like that. Do you know where Jesus is? See, the resurrection story, it's the, it's the basis of our faith. Without it, Christianity does not exist. This is the basis. It's the, it's the axis of Christianity. And without Jesus, joy does not exist. Worship does not exist. Happiness does not exist. But when we find Jesus, we find our joy 
and we find our happiness, our path, and our direction. Without Jesus, we live in a very dark, dark world, one much darker than the one that we live in today. And it can all change right now. If you want to know where Jesus is, if you want to open up your heart and let Him come in right now, He promises that He will be with you always, even till the end of the age. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to let you through this life alone. He's going to bring a path for you to follow.